Hey everybody, thanks for joining. Dave Riesinger here, Redeemed Church Online. The title of my message today is, What If? What a great question. What if? I'm gonna unpack that in a minute and explain what that means and where I'm going with it. But before I do, I want to ask a question and see if you guys can relate with this scenario. I'm sure most of us can. Have you ever had one of those times that the house is cluttered, the kitchen is a mess, your office is, you know, uh, dirty and messy, and maybe your apartment is just, it looked like somebody came in with a tornado and ransacked it. Your yard is, is trashed, and you know you need to get it cleaned up. Every time you go by it, it bothers you, and uh, you just don't have time. If you're people like my wife and I, uh, we're busy, and our house is a constant center of human gathering. We have kids coming in, people coming over. We're people, people. And, uh, and so, you know, the house gets messy uh, a lot. But, you know, you, there's this feeling, uh, you know, when you see the clothes piling up and you've washed all the laundry but uh, didn't have a chance to fold it and it's so high, you're thinking, like, how does anybody have one article of clothing left in their drawer? because all the laundry's sitting right here and it takes forever to fold. Um, for those of you that can't relate to this and you're thinking, I just don't let my house get messy. Listen, let me say something. None of us like you, okay? So you need to back off and stop judging because your heart is cluttered with pride and performance and perfectionism. Okay, that was just a little tangent. I, I repent, we love you. Uh, but <clears throat> I know this feeling because we're always on the go, always on the move, and always having to maintain. For instance, my yard, uh, I live in the woods. I've got a gang of Douglas fir trees um, that just surround my property. I've got a green belt behind my house, and I can spend hours cleaning the roof, cleaning the gutters, getting the, 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 the driveway looking nice, and then in 30 minutes, a windstorm comes through, and my yard that I worked so hard on, it looks like the sixth seal of the great tribulation apocalypse was released on my house. You know, I mean, it's bad. If you live in the Northwest, you know what I'm talking about. Pine needles so thick, they're covering, you can't even see the driveway, right? You've got branches and, and, and pine cones so high that uh, we gotta put GPS trackers on our kids in case they get lost in the pile. Right? I mean, sometimes I feel like taking my family out into the yard after this. It's, it's literally, it looks like the apocalypse hit. Uh, like taking my family out there and just crying with them and saying, guys, don't lose hope. We're going to rebuild. As neighbors come from other neighborhoods that don't have trees and they light candles and they, you know, they encourage us with songs. Okay? Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not much. Uh, the point of what I was saying here is that when we're in these moments, and you know you gotta clean it up, it's bothering you, but we're gonna get to it next weekend, right? And then what happens? All of a sudden, see if you can relate to this, all of a sudden somebody says, hey, I'm gonna be in town and I need somewhere to stay, I was wondering if I could come stay with you. All of a sudden, what was gonna get put off on the back burner, once you find out that someone's coming and they're gonna be staying with you or they're gonna come visit you, that just got bumped to the top of your priority list. And how many know what this feels like, right? If you have kids, like kids, I don't care what your plans were, they're canceled. Like we're cleaning up, 
you, you, you crack in the whip, you're getting everything put together. And, and, and the cool thing is, is that what needed to get done and what was getting put off because you didn't have the time, you now got it all accomplished. And uh, because someone was coming, we just had this happen. We had the wildfires in, in Oregon that caused some of our family members to have to evacuate. So they called and said, hey, could we stay with you because the smoke is so bad here, the fires are near our house. And we had a lot of loose ends to tie up and uh, you know, floors to finish and all kinds of stuff. And uh, it forced us to get the thing done that we wanted to because we were going to have guests moving into the house. And you might ask, well, what does this have to do with the Bible or my life? It actually has a lot to do with the Bible and your life. And here's, here's where I want to go with this. The home, the yard, your kitchen, it's, it's, it's a metaphor for the condition of our soul. This home right here, right? It's a metaphor for the maintenance and the constant cleaning and the preparation and the remodeling and the effort that it takes to keep that which God has entrusted to us um, managed, fruitful, and growing um, because God is a fruit inspector. The Lord expects that what he puts in our hands, that we're going to tend to it and that we're going to prioritize it. It's a metaphor for the, the commitment that we have to the Lord to reach the world and to be the church, right? So we're his house and our life is not our own and our life is to be a conduit for everything that God wants to do and say. You know, your name may be Sue or Bob or Dave or whatever, but you are actually a purpose and a calling from God with flesh wrapped around it and you were sent into the world for his glory and for his goodness. And the Lord expects that we walk in a way that is pleasing to him. And I love this idea because when it comes to the what if, which is the title of my message, what if Jesus was actually coming back soon? What if it wasn't an in-law that was coming to stay at your house because of wildfires in another state. But just could we go here, right? I'm not setting dates. I'm not making any predictions. But what if, because of the wildfires in our earth, what if some of these signs that are happening, political unrest and, and racism and inequality or the media and, and lies and the suppression of truth and um, earthquakes and rumors of wars, what if those wildfires... Um, we're preparing Jesus to come bring us into his home. And, and what if he meant what he said when he said to be ready at all times because he could come back? What would be the condition of our yard, our house, our soul, our life, our calendar, our priorities? This is such an important question. Um, and it's one of those that we need to remind ourselves to ask because through life, we can get complacent. Ah, oh, yeah, we've heard about Jesus coming again. You know, we've heard this through the ages. And is it, you know, is it any time soon? Well, the Bible says that the wicked servant says that the master delays his coming. Um, and so I want to just pose the question. Again, I'm not making predictions. I'm just posing a question. How would your life change if 
that was a reality. If we were standing at the very door, the threshold, in a moment of time that all the prophets and the prophecies pointed to, what if we were truly in the end of the end, right? Would your house get prioritized? Would the cleaning of your life, would the focus of your agenda, would it change at all if you knew that the Lord was coming back soon? Would you rally yourself? Would you rally your faith? Would there be things that you take more serious and things that you let go of if Jesus and his words were coming to pass in this very hour of time in your generation? Let me read this out of James. I love this. We're finishing up our James series and then uh, we're going to go into a series that really ties into what I'm saying today. So this is kind of the closing of one series and the opening of another. <clears throat> but James says this in chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer awaits the precious fruit of the soil, how patient he is for the fall and the spring rains. You too be patient and strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Do not complain about one another, brothers, so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge is standing at the door. I love this because James, he hits on a, a, a couple angles here. Number one, he's like, hey, be patient for the long haul. Like, just like a farmer has to wait, and I know you're anxious, and, and I know you want God to come through, and you, you want the redemption that Jesus promised, the full eternal redemption, but man, stick in this until that harvest comes. But at the same time, he says this, but live like he could come this very moment. So have a long-term faith that says, I, if it's till I'm 99 years old, like I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm in this as a marathon. But at the same time, I wake up and I say, Lord, may I live this day like you could crack the clouds and you could split the sky and you could bring us home or you could bring your kingdom on this earth. Why is this important? That's what I want to get into, right? In posing this question. I, I love this because Jesus, he says that in Matthew 24, that we're not going to know the day or the hour. In fact, let me just read it. Matthew 24, 42 through 44, he says to his disciples, so you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. And, and so Jesus, although he says, you, you're not going to know the day or the hour, isn't it interesting that he says you can't know that? Yet he then goes on and he starts to give all of these prophetic cues and clues as to when he would come. So why would he say, hey, let me tell you, just so you know, when you're in this generation and you see the culmination and the combination of all these signs and all these uh, events take place, I want you to know so you're not caught off guard. I want you to know so that you realize that my coming is at hand. So why would he say you don't know the day, yet he's saying, I want you to know the time. It's important because he cares about the preparation and the focus of his people. And I wonder if that's Jesus' plan, 
Don't you think then the Antichrist, I'm not talking about the guy who will come on the world scene, but the enemy who's anti-Jesus, don't you think that he would work against that very thing? And if Jesus is like, be alert, pay attention, here's the signs, here's the cues, here's the clues, Old Testament pointing to this amazing redemption of the believer, Jesus, the prophets, all these things talking and pointing to it, don't you think the enemy would then do the opposite? Get us complacent. I don't worry about it. Take a day off. Man, you ain't got to be committed. You don't need to go to church to be saved. No, you don't. But if you're saved, you are his church and you engage in the beautiful plan and the call of the community of faith. Ah, uh, you know what? I didn't, you know, I, my, my faith isn't where it should be, but I'm under grace. Yeah, you're under grace, but it's not a license to sin. The enemy will hit us with complacence when Jesus is like, don't take a day off from focusing on the fact that my return is here and near, right? And so again, I'm just, I'm praying that this message would just wake us up another level to this reality. So I, I, wanna, I wanna play, uh, it's not a game, but let's just, let's go down this road. Let's go down this road and just, let's look at what God said in his scriptures about when the Lord would come. And let's do a little math, and we'll kind of study this over the next few weeks as well. But let's kind of look at where we might be. And could we be closer to the return of Christ than we think? Zechariah 13.7 says this, Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Okay, so this is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene um, as the Son of God in human flesh. Uh, Jesus then repeats this very thing in Matthew 26. So if Jesus repeated an Old Testament prophecy um, to his disciples, then we know he was also talking about the fact that he was the fulfillment um, of what this prophecy was about. Jesus says this, Then Jesus said to them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So Jesus is saying, hey, look, you know what Zechariah said? He was talking about me. And on this very night, I'm going to be struck. The shepherd is going to die on the cross and there will be a scattering of sheep. Now, what does this mean prophetically? This is, this is so cool. Check this out. Many times in scripture, you'll see that prophecies are cyclical and they're layered. So you see one event that happens in the Old Testament um, and it happens maybe again in a similar way, and it's not the ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy, but it's a pattern that's pointing to the ultimate fulfillment um, in the end when Jesus Christ makes all things new. And so when you think about, okay, if the shepherds uh, struck and the sheep are scattered, well, who are the sheep and who is the shepherd? We know he's the shepherd. We know in the Old Testament the Jewish people, Israel, was called God's flock. And so this is a layered prophecy. Yes, when Jesus died on the cross, his disciples fled and they scattered, if you will, but they only did for three days. Then he rose from the dead. He brought them to himself. He spent 40 days with them, prepared them, filled them with the Holy Spirit, and they went on to, to carry out his ministry and the church started. But Israel, check this out. 
Israel is in the very center of God's timeline when it comes to the return of Christ. Israel was actually scattered very soon after Jesus Christ the shepherd was struck. Do you remember when Jesus prophesied and he told them, his people, he even warned the Jews, but if they didn't have ears to hear, they got caught in this terrible event in history. He said, hey, look, they're going to come in and this temple's going to be destroyed. Not one stone will go unturned and there'll be a lot of death. He was telling his disciples, when you see this accumulation of this army, just know, get out of Dodge because this is about to go down. Rome came in 40 years after Jesus' death. There were people alive that heard Jesus' prophecy. And the Christians escaped. Titus came in, ransacked the city. A million Jews were killed. And from this moment on, now catch this. I know I'm giving you a lot of information. But from 70 AD, when Jerusalem was the city of God's people. Think about this. This was the city of God's people. They lost their city and they were scattered in exile throughout the entire earth. Now, how long did it take for them to regain their capital city, the, the city of God that was given to his people? How long would it be until they went from being scattered to being brought back? And this is where it gets really fascinating. So if we look, there is a prophetic word in Hosea that points to, I truly lean toward, um, the day and age at least that we are living in. And again, I don't know for sure, but it, it, it seems as though the Bible is pointing to your generation as a very special generation with a very special call. When was the shepherd struck down in history? The year was A.D. 30. So we see Zechariah says he'll be struck down. So there's a timeline. If he's struck down, we can put a date on that. That's AD 30. And we just talked about which sheep would be scattered. Really prophetically, it was talking about Israel being scattered from Jerusalem. So then we get into this incredible passage in Hosea. And here's what it says. Hosea talking about Israel, the Jewish people, who were under the punishment of God because they wouldn't obey, and they were suffering and they were scattered, and Hosea gives a prophecy about when God would bring them back to himself and when the end would come. Here it is. 6, 1 and 2. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bind up our wounds. Now think about this. He's not talking about those early disciples that were scattered because God didn't tear those people to pieces, but God did allow Israel to be torn to pieces because of the rebellion. Now check this out. <clears throat> He's torn us to pieces, but he will bind up our wounds. Then verse two, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his presence. Now this is, this is very fascinating, okay? Uh, when you look in Psalm 90, verse 4, and you, you go to uh, 2 Peter 3, 8, um, it, it gives this uh, verbiage about what a day means. And here's what it says. For in your sight, God, a thousand years are but a day that passes, or the watch of a night. 
Second Peter says it this way, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. So he says, we are going to be torn to pieces. He's going to wound us and bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up to live in his presence. The word presence here means face to face, literally to be with in person. So if we take the math that God uses to explain some of his prophetic language, and we, we, we look at when the shepherd was struck and when the sheep were scattered, it's, it's saying that Israel, God's original sheep, are going to be lost and scattered for two days, which is 2,000 years. Now, now check this out. Don't miss this. But it says that on that second day, somewhere in the second day, they're going to be revived. And on the third day, they'll live in his presence. Now, how is it possible? We're not just talking about in a worship service. Like, and then on the third day, we're going to feel his presence and we're going to sense him near. The definition is actually, no, we'll be brought in to be with the Lord. Okay, so let's do the math here. It was the year 30 AD and the scattering began. Okay, if you add one day or a thousand years to that date, you come up with what? The year 1030. And then if you add two days, so in two days, that same date of scattering from 8030, add 2000 years or two days, that puts us at the year 2030. That's not too far from now, right? And again, I'm not predicting dates, right? I'm just saying, what if, what if? And there's a reason for this what if, okay? So then if that's the, if that's the, the, the fact, then that third day, it says, oh, then we'll, on the third day, we'll live in his presence. Prophetically, you know what happens after this church age? The next event on the calendar would be the great tribulation, um, some would believe the rapture. I'm not going to get into that. But there's going to be a seven-year time. That, that this is Jacob's trouble. And after that, the kingdom of God comes on the earth. For how long? A thousand years. That's why it's called the millennium. And what happens in the millennium? It means that all of God's people that have followed him, that have believed on Christ, those who were saved through the tribulation, are brought where? Into his kingdom to be with him on this very earth where we will see him face to face and be in his very presence, not metaphorically, not just in spiritual talk, but actually the king comes back to Jerusalem. He sits on the throne of David. He rules the earth. And it's now not just the Garden of Eden. Now it's restored into the globe of Eden. Righteousness rules from sea to sea. The word of God spreads throughout the earth. The devil's bound up. He's cast into the, uh, into the pit. And it is a time of rest, a time of Sabbath. And so Hosea was saying that for 2,000 years, Israel will be under this punishment. But sometime in that second day, they will be restored and prepared to enter that next thousand years with the king of kings. Now, when did Israel actually come back to their city? If you look back in history, here's what happened. It was all this time, nation after nation after nation after nation took over Jerusalem. But then all of a sudden something happened in 1948. In 1948, Israel 
after about 2,000 years, 1,948 years, came back and their city that was taken in 70 AD and was pretty much, they were under bondage under Rome during the time of Christ. But after almost 2,000 years, they were brought back into their land. And could it be, what if, at the twilight of the second day, God is giving a sign saying, I am reviving my people back to their land and I am getting ready to initiate the third day. Now, if you believe in a rapture and we're talking about the year 2030, and again, no one knows the day nor the hour. Maybe we can know the season. I'm just playing what if. I'm not making any predictions. But if you believe in a rapture and if you believe in a pre-trib rapture, then you can minus seven years off of the start of the millennial kingdom. Where does that put us? It puts us in the year uh, 2023, which is just right around the corner. And again, I'm not saying I even necessarily believe that, but the point of why I'm reading this and why I'm saying this is because if you knew that Jesus Christ was going to return, would anything change in your life? And the Bible says that every single one who calls him Lord, especially should live like, yes, he's coming at any moment. That means that our faith should be found fiery and hot. That means that the the sins that tangle us up, the weights that beset us and hold us down, the distractions that keep us from being and doing what he wants us to do, we need to take these things seriously because when he comes, we want to be found faithful. So I don't know where you're at today, I don't know what your life looks like, but I do know this. The church has, in my opinion, the church has gradually moved from being a people who love the cross of Jesus Christ, who were committed to discipleship, who were committed to the call of reaching the world, who were committed to joining together in community and love and bearing one another's burdens, And the church, in my opinion, especially in the West, please hear me, has become a catering service. What do I mean by that? My wife used to work catering at McCormick's and they'd put on these banquets. And a caterer, they they work their tails off to take care of whatever the guests, guests want. And so if there's a banquet being thrown, you know, my, my wife would have, you know, big old platters and come home sore and her ankles hurt because she was running and she was serving people at the table. And if you didn't do a good job catering, guess what? They're not going to use McCormick's. They'll find someone else to cater. So you better be on it, get my water when I need it, and get me my stuff. And, and, and I think what's happened is that the church that was called to be committed to the Christ, to the cross, to community, and to the call has become a catering service where we have now kind of turned to just dance how people want us to dance, to serve people, to make the, 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 the life in Christ convenient, to add bells and whistles, to put on the dog and pony show. But what if the enemy has duped us into compromise and mediocrity? And what if Jesus is trying to wake up his church and say, maybe we've lost the heart of what it's all about. And if you knew I was coming now, you wouldn't try and create or walk in a Christianity that meets your needs and caters to your schedule and caters to your budget. What if the Lord was calling us to say, listen, it's not about you, it's about me. It's not about your preferences, it's about the Prince of Peace. 
I know this might be a strong challenge, but the Lord has something special and amazing for all of us. And I think it's time we wake up to the reality that Jesus Christ is coming soon. If you don't know him, your soul's on the line. There's no heaven without the king who died to give us heaven. There's no eternal salvation unless we put our faith in the Savior. But the good news is Jesus is open arms to anyone who would call on him. I want to pray for us right now. And I want you to commit to follow up in these next few weeks with this sermon series as we unpack this a little more. And we pray that God would, would restore and revive our faith so that we can be the church that he wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, I ask you right now in Jesus' name that God, we wouldn't live in fear. We would live in a holy, awesome expectation that you could come at any moment. Maybe you won't. Maybe you're 200 years off. Who knows? But God, we pray that our hearts would be postured to say, hey kids, hey family, we gotta get our house in order. We gotta get our soul in order. We gotta get our priorities right. And God, I pray for those that don't believe in you, that don't know you, that right now they would put their faith in you, the only one who can save. And that God, one day we would be worthy to be brought into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray that the Lord does something special in your life in this next season. What if he's coming? And what if we would commit to know him, love him, serve him, and follow him in a fresh way? I believe that God would blow your mind with his faithfulness and the way that he shows up to prove that when we do it his way, we are truly blessed people filled with the treasure of heaven. Let's give it a shot and let's trust that his word is faithful and true. I love you. If you need more information about the church or you want to know more, you can go to redeem.church. Other than that, pass this message on to somebody that it might be an encouragement to. Love you. See you soon.